trigger warning. This podcast is intended for men. Not boys, not babies, men. This is how we disable toxic masculinity. We need to kill all men. This pagan patriarchalism that is coming back out of the shadows. Feminists hate patriarchy. It's the woman that runs the show and the woman that runs the community and is the backbone of, of that area. I'm a nasty woman. A loud, vulgar, proud woman. Patriarchy. Unfortunately, can't see why egalitarianism would be a bad thing. The assumption that wives should make babies instead of money is part of patriarchy. Don't say hi to strange women you don't know. Patriarchy. The patriarchy. 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 The first one to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. And that is Proverbs chapter 18, verse 17. You are on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network, and you are listening to The Patriarchy. My name is Tony Dapani, and I am still not joined by my co-host, Pastor Joseph Randall Spurgeon. Woman, get back in here and make me a sandwich. So since Joseph is still out of town and I am rapidly losing my voice, if you can't tell, I'm going to make this one short. What am I eating today? Why am I eating a grilled cheese sandwich with bacon sandwiched between two slices of toasted rye bread? That may actually surprise you if you know me because I really don't like rye bread. I know it's supposed to be healthier for you. I've tried it numerous times and my wife pushes it on me like she's some kind of drug dealer, but I really just don't like it. But I gotta admit, on this sandwich, it's really good. I don't know why. It's just the right bread, dare I say the rye bread, for the sandwich. So if you haven't tried a grilled cheese sandwich with bacon on top, with rye bread, you should go out and give it a shot. I don't know if it's actually healthier for you, but it does taste really good. Okay, so what are we gonna talk about today? We are actually going to do a part two of a series we've been doing on the Southern Baptist Convention resolution to abolish abortion. Uh, The first part, if you haven't heard it, you should really go back and listen to it. I think this episode will make much more sense if you listen to that one first. We did an interview with Pastor Dusty Devers, who is a co-author of the resolution. I think he did an excellent job of giving us the history and laying the groundwork for how this resolution came to be, how it got itself to the conference, and then everything that happened there, and then the voting on the final version of the resolution. So go back and listen to part one, and then come back and listen to this one. If you have already listened to part one, good for you. You're all caught up. And now we are ready to get into part two. This actually came to be during the recording of part one. I was reaching out to other people involved with the resolution, and in between segments, I actually got word back from Darren Stid, who you may recognize from the show. He's been on two times. He's also the uh, co-host of the Resisting Balaam podcast. He also works with Operation Save America. Good brother, good guy, good friend of ours. And we thought this would be an excellent opportunity 
for Darren, who is also a co-author, to cover some of the things that Dusty didn't get a chance to cover. There are actually three main areas that apparently, since the passing of the resolution, uh, I wouldn't say have been points of contention per se. I think people have legitimate questions uh, in these areas, and I think it deserves talking about and explaining, and that's exactly what we did with Darren. So... We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll be on the line with Pastor Darren Stidd, co-author of the Southern Baptist Resolution to Abolish Abortion. So stick around. You are listening to the Patriarchy on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. We'll be right back. Gentlemen and ladies, are you coming to the second annual Fight, Laugh, Feast conference in Lebanon, Tennessee this fall from September 9th to 11th? This year's theme is the politics of sex. We'll have guest speakers, vendor booths, beer and psalm singing, food trucks and activities, and nightly after-party events. Last year's conference was a ton of fun, and we are excited to meet and hang out with even more of you this year. So go to FightLaughFeast.com, click on events, and choose conference in Tennessee from the drop-down, then grab the wife... Pack that giant church van full of kids, and we'll see you and yours on September 9th in Lebanon, Tennessee. We're on the line with Pastor Darren Stidd. Darren is pastor of Harmony Baptist Church. He's the assistant national director of Operation Save America, and he's a multiple-time guest of the Patriarchy Podcast, which is the most important acclaim. And he's married to his <laughs> wife, Katrina, and together they have eight kids. Darren, welcome back for the, I believe, third time to the Patriarchy. Thank you. I, that's kind of a funny way. You go right from Patriarchy Podcast being my most important acclaim to talking about my wife and kids. I, I don't know, man. I... I don't know. Much as I love being on the show, you know, I got I to gotta go with the whole being married thing. That's got to be highest on the list. I stand by my intro. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's this, this is true. This is true. Okay, so, all right. So I hear that you're changing the name of your church to Harmony Reformed Baptist Church soon, but my question is, when are you changing oh, it to Harmony Presbyterian <laughs> Church? <laughs> No, no, no. Uh, well, Harmony Reformed Baptist would very much be in order. It's a sixteen eighty nine uh, church, but I don't, I don't see us moving uh, Presbyterian anytime soon. I'm pretty, I'm pretty committed to the sixteen eighty nine, uh, sixteen eighty nine covenantal configuration there. So, I'll tell you what, though, Joseph did. Uh, he worked pretty hard to convince me last time I was on. I think we were. How long were we on afterwards? Just I don't even. I, oh, so you guys were on so long after that that. I designed an entire shirt and put it out for sale. <laughs> that was when I, that was when we designed the uh, the women's tea. The uh, I make uh, sandwiches for my husband and humans for, or babies or whatever. I think it was human beings for the king of kings. I think is what it was. I designed that while you guys were arguing. <laughs> I mean, politely arguing, but arguing after the uh, after the episodes. Yes, I do remember that one. That went for a while. That you guys were like, "Are you still on?" And I'm like, "Don't mind me. I'm just just making money <laughs> yeah. over here. We're good." <laughs> Is Tony still there? Yeah. No, that was that was a lot of fun. That was uh, we should have recorded that. 
put it out. Yeah, I thought about that afterwards, but uh, yeah, I, I yeah. once I hit stop, I hit stop and try to try to stand Over. by that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Joseph is still out. He's he's traveling right now with his family, so it's just little old me on the patriarchy right now. But um, yeah, so hey, look, I wanted to have you on because uh, recently uh, we, and by we, I mean I, because Joseph was still not around, um, interviewed uh, Pastor Dusty Devers, who. I know that you work with on the resolution to abolish abortion in SBC for this year. Um, we talked about all his involvement uh, fighting against abortion, his involvement with the resolution itself, and also some of the pushback and feedback that uh, you guys got from it. So I know that you personally were involved with the resolution because you were one of the writers of it. Um, I also know you previously attempted to put this on the SBC's radar with a motion. Uh, I distinctly remember that, actually, and I believe it was a couple of years ago. So... Let's kind of clue the listeners in on uh, what happened then with your motion. So let's start with that. So what was it and what happened? Yeah, so um, in 2019, I went to the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, We didn't have one in 2020. Um, But I went in 2019, and it was just me and one other abolitionist there, uh, John Smith. And we were trying to come up with ways to bring the issue of abolitionism to the forefront of the convention discussion. And we discovered when we got there that uh, we couldn't uh, we couldn't do a resolution because those have to be submitted ahead of time. Uh, but what we could do was a motion. And so what I did was I went to the um, there's opportunities for new business. Basically, the Southern Baptist Convention is the annual meeting is like a huge business meeting. So if you've ever been to like a church business meeting, imagine that with any anywhere between eight and twenty thousand people. That's basically what the Southern Baptist Convention annual meeting is. And so um, I I went to one of the microphones and uh, raised a motion, and essentially the motion was for the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention, which is sort of the political lobbying arm of the SBC, uh, to do a study on how, um, how the ERLC the national convention, state conventions, and uh, associations could work with local churches to help pass legislation to abolish abortion at the state level. And uh, that gave me an opportunity to speak from the platform at the time to um, places like the Oklahoma Baptist State Convention and the Texas Baptist State Convention fighting to keep abolition from happening in states like Texas and Oklahoma where the Southern Baptist Convention has a big uh, has a big influence, so I was able to speak to that and raise the motion. And um, it was uh, they waited; uh, they didn't they did not address my emo- my motion until the very last. The committee came back and killed the motion, and the reason that they killed it is because I did not use the word request, and so they killed it on a technicality. Um, on the uh, you know, and they could have they could have easily just easily added the word request or adjusted the motion or asked me to rewrite it. Those are all things they do very commonly, um, but instead they chose to kill uh, the motion. And so that was 2019. There were two of us there, and we were just looking for opportunities to bring the abolition of abortion into the discussion. In 2021, it was a very different scenario. It was um, it was like night and day different. In 2018, we were, um, John and I were sort of treated like we were nuts by everybody at the convention. Um, and our motion was squashed. There was a big piece put out by the ERLC a couple days later. Uh, one of the guys, one of the staffers at the ERLC was talking about how our motion was squashed like a bug, how he was glad that we got squashed like a bug. It's kind of a bad um, spot, though, to have the ERLC 
come out against you, right? That's, I, I, I consider yes. that a badge of honor. Like you did something right yes. if they come out against you. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, and that was exactly the way I took it. It was like, oh, hey, great. The ERLC doesn't like me. That means I'm doing something right. Yeah. Yep, yep. So this year, there were more like, uh, rather than two of us, there were more like 20 of us there. And um, we had this resolution. We had the resolution drafted, which a resolution is a little bit different than a motion. So resolution basically, uh, Southern Baptist Convention does resolutions to make public statements that give you kind of an idea of what the pulse is of the convention on a given topic at a given moment. And so we had the resolution prepared ahead of time. Um, and, you know, there were just a lot of people between 2019 and 2021 that saw what we did. Um, you know, abolitionism was taking off among the Southern Baptists in Oklahoma with guys like uh, Dusty Devers, Brett Baggett, uh, with uh, P- Pastor Bill Askell, um, and some of those guys, and uh, and then also across the country. And so all of a sudden, this year when we went to convention, it was like a completely different experience. There were, you know, there were over a dozen of us. We had people out on the streets holding signs. We passed out 8,000 copies of our resolution to the messengers. Um, took our message directly to the messengers. And uh, this time, the message was actually very well received uh, by the messengers. And so it was like a night and day difference between the two. Uh, and I, I, I attribute a lot of that to the God is just moving. Uh, and it was just evident at the convention this year that God is moving. He's opened the hearts and the minds of the people in the Southern Baptist Convention to this uh, thing that we're trying to do to abolish abortion. And uh, it was a tremendous blessing. The only way really to... The only re- really to explain it is that God's doing something here. That was the, that's the only, that's really the only way that you can explain it. Um, it went from being we were crazy to people happily accepting the resolution, reading it, excited about it. And so I'm really excited about what happened at the convention this year. And there's a night and day difference between now and 2019. Yeah, I was, I was talking to Dusty and I said, you know, it's interesting because there's a lot of things that, uh, we view is really bad um, that God is used for good, obviously. I mean, like you, you look at the Roman Empire building the Roman roads, you know, that was to take over the known world, but God used it to spread the gospel. And then you look at like COVID, right? And then everybody gets really ticked because they're being lied to and they want consistent truth. And it's just this big shift over the past couple of years, even that people are, are kind of done. They want consistency and they like it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I really think that that's what it comes down to. I mean, I think people are starting to see that, the um, you know, there's a really uh, anti-establishment sort of feeling out there. People are starting to see the establishment pro-life movement is accomplishing nothing. Uh, and they're seeing that in the Southern Baptist Convention as well. Uh, they're tired of groups like the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission telling, you know, when we, uh, to take the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, um, to take this particular group that's Southern Baptists in line with what you just said, you know, we pay the ERLC to go to Washington, D.C. and to lobby on behalf of Southern Baptists. They're supposed to take our message to the politicians and speak prophetically to those politicians. Instead, what they're doing is they're taking advantage of the position that we give them, and instead they're becoming a messenger of the politician back to us and telling us what the politicians are and aren't willing to do. And the people in Southern Baptist Convention are just sick of that. We're not going to be treated that way anymore. Um, and so uh, we're not we're not going to allow the uh, we're not going to allow the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, the people that we pay with our convention dollars, to um, 
we're not going to allow them to use the money that we pay them in order to uh, in order to to tell us what the politicians will and won't do. And so, what we decided to do this time around is we decided to take our message directly to the messengers. We didn't go to the uh, we didn't go to the the people on the platform with our hat in our hand and beg them. Instead, we went to the messengers, and the messengers were open. They were excited to hear our message, and they were excited uh, because they're sick of seeing year after year after year, they're sick of seeing all of this money and time and energy and effort go into supposed pro-life causes. And then at the end of the day, millions and millions of babies are continuing to be slaughtered. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was, I was really encouraged when Dusty was talking about that the messengers overwhelmingly were interested in hearing it and then in favor. That, that was it. That's, it is a big change, but that's, it's a good change. Um, yeah. You, you got into already kind of how you got involved in the resolution here, but so let me move on. Uh, so I, I, I talked to Dusty about this as well, so I want to get your perspective on it. Uh, everybody's talking about the one word that was added into the resolution. Uh, let, can you talk about that for a sec, uh, what your what your feeling is on that word, uh, what your feeling was at the time, and maybe what your feeling is now? Yeah, so um, I wasn't, well, okay, so um, full, full disclosure, I had to leave early because I was sick. Uh, so I was on the phone with uh, with our people the day that I was there, the day the resolution was brought out of committee. Um, but the day that it was voted on, I was not able to be there. I was watching. Um, and I had several different discussions with several of the different guys involved from my car uh, just because I, I had some symptoms coming up and I didn't want to get anybody sick. Um, but I, I watched the whole thing happen. Um, the word, so the word is the word alone. Um, and when you, the thing about it is the word itself, I mean, it bothers me because of what it represents, but I don't feel like it really takes a whole lot away from our resolution. The reason I would say that is because when you go read the resolve with the word alone in there, it basically makes that resolve unintelligible. Uh, it doesn't accomplish what they originally set out to accomplish. And so when you read the resolution as a whole and you read that resolve with the word alone in there, it doesn't turn the whole resolution into some sort of an incremental statement. Instead, what it does is it just makes that one resolve unintelligible. It doesn't make any sense with that word in there. And so, but I think that our statement, I think that our statement, what we're trying to accomplish comes through loud and clear, even with the, uh, even with the, uh, the, the attempted um, butchering of the resolution by that particular messenger. Um, also, I think that Bill, um, Pastor Bill Askell, calling for the question when he did uh, was a brilliant strategic move on his part. We could just see people lining up at the microphones. They were going to try to butcher this resolution. They're going to try to make it die the death of a thousand amendments. Um, so he did the right thing by calling the question. Let's call for a vote on the resolution right now. Um, and uh, so I think he did the right thing. The guys that were on the floor there played it perfect. Brett Baggett gave a great talk um, in support of the resolution. And so I'm not really overly concerned with that particular word being in there. When you consider the fact that we were able to get a resolution out of committee with a two-thirds vote of the messengers without the support of the committee, that is unprecedented. It's, it's not ever happened before. Um, and so for that to happen on a resolution like this and for it to pass the way that it did, I'm not. I'm not overly concerned about the inclusion of that word in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you read past that word in the resolution, it it kind of 
makes that word not make any sense when you read past it. Um, so I th- hopefully yeah. anybody listening that has an issue with it, I understand it. But at the same time, if you go read the whole thing, I think you'll kind of understand what we're what we're saying here. I, I mean, ideally, you take the word out and then everything would make yeah. sense. But it doesn't ruin the whole thing. Um, all right. So it's something different I want to talk to you about here. So we're just not rehashing some of the same stuff is uh, I've heard that. There's a, well, I think everybody's heard there's some <laughs> pushback, but I think there's some confusion on some people's part in their pushback. Um, from folks uh, regarding the resolution. So let's start with one that I've heard, which is seems to be a sore point for people. And I've heard people talking about ectopic pregnancies in regards to the resolution. So why don't you take our listeners through what's the objection you're hearing from folks in the SBC regarding ectopic pregnancies in the resolution? And then what's your and probably the writers of the resolution's reaction to that? Yeah. So, I mean, I think the first thing I would say is that if you're just, if if you're new to abolitionism, this is going to be one of those objections that comes up. It's a fair objection. People that aren't familiar with our, uh, with, with what we're trying to accomplish and they don't, they don't understand everything that's involved in abolishing abortion. This is going to be, this is going to be a concern for them. It was a concern for me when I first got involved in the uh, fight to abolish abortion. And I think probably that's the case for most everybody that's involved that at some point we had this question about ectopic pregnancies. And so, you know, the question is, the objection is, well, this resolution doesn't provide exceptions for things like ectopic pregnancies. So what you're saying is that mothers that are pregnant with something like an ectopic pregnancy, they have to die on the table um, because, uh, you know, this, this resolution doesn't speak to that. And that's really not true at all. Uh, that's not what we're trying to accomplish in any way, shape, or form. So let me talk about ectopic pregnancies just for a few minutes. Um, the first the first thing that everybody needs to understand as we're discussing ectopic pregnancies is that in the overwhelming majority of circumstances, when the ectopic pregnancy is discovered, the baby has already um, the baby has already passed away. And so in those sorts of instances, we're dealing with in the overwhelming majority of circumstances, we're dealing with a baby who's already passed away. And so obviously, in that particular kind of a case, you have a baby that's implanted in the fallopian tubes. Um, the, the, the baby is, you know, usually, um, the baby dies very, very early in the process there. And so for a doctor to remove that baby from the fallopian tubes is not an abortion according to the definition. Now it'll, it'll be, it'll be called an abortion according to a certain medical definition, but according to the legal definition of the word and the definition that we're using, that's not an abortion. Our resolution would not call for legislation that would keep, uh, that that um, that baby that is deceased from being able to be removed uh, in the in those circumstances. Now, in the instance that the baby is alive, uh, what we say is that we need to we need to, and we'll talk about this in a little bit when we talk about the life of the mother. But what we would say is we would call on the doctor to try to treat the baby and the mother both as patients, and to try to do everything that possibly could be done to save the life of that baby. But if the time comes where the baby is growing in the fallopian tubes, it is going to cause death on the, it is going to cause the mother to die. Then we, we, we count that as a terrible, terrible tragedy. Uh, but we don't, we don't, that doctor would not be guilty of murder for taking action to save that mother's life. And so, um, you know, what I think Russell Hunter has given a good explanation of what the legislation that we support accomplishes in these regards. He says, you know, if you if you're if you're uh, if you didn't wake up this morning planning to kill your baby 
and you're not and you're a doctor, you didn't wake up this morning going to work planning to kill babies. That's what our legislation is about. It's about keeping people from intentionally killing babies. When we're dealing with uh, when we're dealing with small percentage situations where the life of a mother's at risk, which again we'll talk about that more in a minute, but like with the with the ectopic pregnancy sort of situation, um, we, we we do not we do not believe that that uh, Taking action to save the life of the mother in that circumstance is 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 uh, is murder or is an abortion in the way that we would talk about in normal circumstance. So that would be the first thing I would say in regards to ectopic pregnancies. Um, and I would also note that the law, if, if we if we stop with all of this regulation of abortion, which I'll talk about in a, uh, a minute with, under one of the other objections, if we stop with all this regulation of abortion and we treat abortion like murder. The law already has means for evaluating and examining how to deal with situations like ectopic pregnancies and life of the mother situations. We don't need special language in our resolution. We don't need special language in our in our legislation that we legislate for uh, in order for those situations and circumstances to be dealt with. The law already has means for investigations to be done and things like that um, to provide for the protection of the mother mother in that situation. So the last thing I would say about the ectopic pregnancy as well is for everybody to remember, we were not, this resolution is, itself is not, we're not passing legislation with this resolution. We are very careful to address issues like ectopic pregnancy in the, resol- in the legislation that we author and that we lobby for. But this resolution is a prophetic statement from the church to the state, essentially saying that we demand that be, babies be protected from the moment of conception, from the moment of fertilization, all the way through to birth and then beyond there, and that we demand that that people stop murdering children. That's what this legislation, or that's what this resolution is about. And it's this is not legislation; it's a resolution on behalf of the church. It's a prophetic statement, and so we didn't get into some of the different nuances with things like ectopic pregnancies and so forth. So I hope that helps. Yeah, and and I feel like people don't think through some of these things real clearly when they're thinking about it, because you know when we have we have murder laws on the books, right? And so when we pass these murder laws, um, nobody out there is like. Yeah, but what about the firemen? Let's use the fire analogy because it seems like everybody in the abortion debate likes fire analogies. I don't know what that is. The burning house. Everybody's got a burning house and a baby. But um, but like, there's two guys, you know, in a in a burning building. Something fell down. You know, one guy's on top of the other guy. The guy on top's got a rebar through his you know abdomen or something. But you got to take the rebar out of him to move him so you can get to the other guy who's stuck underneath him. Like nobody brings this in. Is like, yeah, but if the it, what happens with the murder laws if the fireman removes the rebar from that guy? Is he going to go to jail? Like, nobody asked that because the fireman didn't go yeah. in there and go like, oh, look, you've got a rebar through your abdomen. Let's shoot you in the head, and then we'll move you. Yeah. Like, that's there's two right. completely different things, you know, with like the ectopic pregnancy. Again, there's that intent on it. You know, did the doctor go in and like, well, yep, we're going to crush this baby and then remove it? Or is it, we're going to try our best to remove this baby and keep it alive you know, but if he or she dies, that's not the intention, but we were at least trying, you know, that's the whole yeah. intent. And I think people kind of miss that because they just get weird and reactionary. Plus, I mean, let's face it, we've lived for 50 years about, you know, with abortion being normal, uh, quote normal, and yeah. uh, we just don't think about it. Okay, so moving on, uh, we, we kind of did touch on the life of the mother uh, exception thing. Uh, let's just briefly 
touch on that because I know that's like the second of the three that I have on my list that have been the objections that I've heard that are in the SBC. So touch on the exceptions for life of the mother. What are people saying about that and kind of what are the reactions to that that you have? Yeah, so I mean, there, I can't tell you how many physicians are on record right now um, saying that abortions are never done to save the life of the mother. So this is a, this is sort of a pro-life talking point. We have to have exceptions for life of the mother, um, but but abortions are not done, generally speaking, to save the life of the mother. Those are rare, rare, rare circumstances. And so um, the reason that we don't believe in having exceptions for the life of the mother is because what happens is when you have an exception for the life of the mother, uh, the Supreme Court, uh, when, when Planned, uh, Planned Parenthood versus Casey, or no, no, it was, it was Roe versus Wade, they, uh, the court in that, on that same day offered an additional opinion that established what constitutes life of the mother from the court's perspective. And the life of the mother, uh, from the court's perspective, when you're talking about life of the mother, it can be, it's not just the physical health of the mother. It can be the psychological well-being of the mother. It can be, you know, fill in the blank with, you know, it's going to cause her emotional trauma to have this baby, and so on and so forth. This is what the court has ruled life of the mother means. And so if you, if you put a life of the mother exception in an otherwise good law that would make abortion illegal, you're basically opening a Mack truck size hole for the abortion industry to drive through. And basically what you're going to have is you're going to have a bunch of mothers. You're going to have a bunch of people having abortions because the life of the mother is at risk. And that will become the reason that women have abortions and the same number of abortions will continue to happen. And so, but on the other hand, nobody wants a woman. We're not trying to murder women here. That's not the goal of what we're trying to accomplish. We're trying to save babies here. And so what we would say a doctor needs to do in a circumstance where the life of the mother is, if there is a circumstance where the life of the mother is in danger, there's an actual legitimate circumstance where that's the case. We come back to the medical triage thing. We expect for the doctor to treat the mother and the baby both as patients and to do everything that he possibly can to save the life of that baby while he's also saving the life of that mother. Right. And doctors already do this, right. When, uh, when there's a, a life threatening, when there are life threatening circumstances in, in situations where the mother wants to have the baby, this is what doctors do. It's already what they do. They keep the baby and the mother for as long as they possibly can, and then they deliver the baby at the point that it's no longer safe for the baby to be inside of the mother. And that is not an abortion, okay? And so uh, we, we, we don't need, again, we don't need life of the mother exceptions in our legislation. We need, um, we need for doctors to recognize that preborn babies are as much human as mothers are, and to treat those mothers and treat mothers and babies with the same level of personhood and respect and value of life. And again, to carry out triage the way that doctors do when they make medical decisions. Um, and so we are opposed to life of the mother exceptions because we don't want to leave the door right open for abortions to continue to happen. But that doesn't mean that we want moms just to die on the table, which is sort of the story that's being told. That's the narrative that's being told. And that simply isn't the case. That's a false narrative. Doctors already, and the last thing I'll say about this in regards to the life of the mother, part of the reason that technology is not advancing to save the life of earlier stage babies is because in society we treat those babies like their lives don't matter. We behave like they're not important. And so what, we're, what our legislation would call for is it would call for the doctor to take every step possible 
to save the life of that baby. And, and if we require doctors to do that, guess what's going to happen? Technology is going to advance to save the life of those babies because they're being treated like persons. They're being treated like human beings created in the image of God, and they're not simply being thrown away, um, as would be the case now. And so uh, that, that, would be, that would be my uh, answer to the life of the mother uh, aspect of the discussion. Yeah, and, and I hope people listening can, can realize something. This is one of the things I think that years ago hit me pretty hard when it comes to uh, law, uh, anti-abortion laws uh, and exceptions, is the only, the only person, you probably know what I'm going to say, the only person we're relying on to make that call is the abortion doctor. Uh, so, right. so when, when somebody comes in and says, my, my life is at risk, my life is at risk, you know, I don't want this baby, they can go, oh yeah, clearly your life is at risk. And there's other ones that are worse. When you get health of the mother exceptions, not just life of the mother, the health of the mother exceptions is a crapshoot. I mean, that one is yeah. like, I've got a headache. I'm stressed. I, I'm going to lose my job. I mean, anything fits into that one. And again, you're, you're trusting somebody that makes a living off of killing preborn human beings to make that call and be truthful to you. It's, it's sheer insanity. So yeah, that one's that hopefully that one yeah. makes more sense to people listening. This is why this is not a good idea. Like you said, you, you double down on the, we're trying to say all human life is equal because God created all human life in his image. And so you should equally try with every human life to try to save that life and not favor one over the other. I mean, that, that for Christians should be, pretty normal, I would hope. But um, anyway, I digress. Moving on. (laughs) The last big one, the last big objection that I'm hearing is people are saying that uh, this resolution is seeking to remove all pro-life laws and all of the progress that we've made uh, in in all the decades since Roe v. Wade. Um, So can you comment on what, what you hear people saying about that and then what the response, what the reality, does the resolution actually say this? Is that what's actually going to happen? So just kind of talk about that for a few minutes. Yeah, so, I mean, the resolution does come out pretty strong against incrementalism, uh, which, I make. I mean, we make no apologies for that. Um, and, I mean, this is, again, um, this is one of those common objections that we hear every place that we're trying to we're authoring and trying to pass legislation it's one of the first things that the pro-life movement brings up and there's two kinds of people that have this objection right there are the people that are honestly concerned and then there are the people that are using this as a narrative to try to come against what we're doing and so i want to i want to speak for a minute to the person that's honestly concerned um and i hopefully this will address the objection raised by the person that's raising the narrative as well um what pro-life laws currently do right now, what pro-life incremental laws currently do, so take a heartbeat bill or a 20-week ban or a pain-capable act, all of these types of legislation, what these pieces of legislation do is they actually spell out in their language when, where, and how it's okay to kill a baby, right? So a heartbeat bill, for example. A heartbeat bill, in its language, spells out how doctors are permitted to go about killing babies, same thing with the 20-week ban and the pain-capable ban and the dismemberment ban. All of, these different, all of these different pro-life incremental bills, they spell out when, where, and how it's okay to kill a baby. So if you want to make abortion illegal, you want to completely and totally criminalize it, what you have to do 
this is legally, it's legally required, it's necessary. What you have to do is you have to go into the legal code and you have to strike all of those instances where the law specifies when, where, and how it's okay to kill a baby. And then you have to go under the murder statute and you have to include abortion under the murder statute. If you have legislation, if you say abortion is murder, it's no longer permitted in our state. It's not allowed. But then in your, in your statute, you, you have all of these pro-life laws that say, it's okay to kill a baby if you do this, and here's how you're allowed to kill a baby, uh, and these are the specifications that permit you to be able to kill a baby. Both of those two things can't exist in the statute at the same time. Any defense attorney would have a heyday with that. So what you have to do when you write legislation that criminalizes abortion is you literally have to go through and strike, and, and it's interesting, because if you want to make abortion illegal and say Indiana where I'm at or Ohio where you're at, if you want to do that, one of the first things you have to do is you have to actually go and remove all the pro-life laws because it's actually those laws that specify how abortion can be done in that state. And so th this is the reason that we have to do away with, with, with these laws. And, and, and the other thing I would say in connection to this is a big piece of what we're trying to accomplish is that the church is, we're trying to get the church to call on the state, say the state of Ohio, the state of Indiana, the state of Texas, the state of Oklahoma. We're trying to get the church to call on the state to defy the tyranny of the Supreme Court and to ignore Roe and to make abortion completely and totally legal, or illegal, I'm sorry, to make abortion completely and totally illegal, criminalize it. And so if you defy all of these little incremental laws, that's all about Roe versus Wade. It's about trying to figure out what little things the courts will allow the states to do uh, without trying to overturn them. What we're saying is we don't care what the courts say anymore. We're going to do the same thing that Wisconsin did when they defied the Fugitive Slave Act in the 1800s, and we're going to oppose the Supreme Court. We're going to tell the Supreme Court to pound sand, and in these, in, in these states – where we have brave legislators that are willing to do it, we are going to oppose the Supreme Court, and we're going to make abortion completely and totally illegal. We don't need all the little incremental things anymore. We're just going to defy Roe, and we're going to establish justice. One last thing I'll say about that. Part of the reason that this is so important, if you want to overturn Roe, if that's the thing that you want to accomplish, which is sort of supposed to be the big pro-life thing, I think that's a fool's errand. I do think Roe should be overturned. But Roe has been given to us by a majority Republican Supreme Court justices, and then it's been upheld by majority Republican Supreme Court justices. And many of the Republican Supreme Court justices that are currently on the bench have upheld Roe in their, in their own rulings. And so I think overturning Roe is a fool's errand. But I will say this. If you ever are going to overturn Roe, the way you're going to overturn it is with a bill of equal justice, a bill that establishes that abortion is murder and treats it like murder. And here's how I know that. If you read Blackman's opinion, when he handed down his, his Supreme Court opinion on Roe versus Wade, one of the biggest things he hit the state of Texas on was he said that on the one hand, they were trying to treat abortion like murder, but on the other hand, they weren't actually treating it like murder in their laws. And so all of these little incremental things that we do where we say abortion is bad, therefore, as long as a baby doesn't have a heartbeat, you, can't, you, you can kill it. But if it has a heartbeat, you can't kill it. Um, abortion's bad, and so, but you can't rip a baby's arms and legs off with forceps. You have to use a suction device. All of these laws are inconsistent. 
if you really wanted to overturn Roe, according to what Justice Blackman said in his Roe versus Wade opinion, the only way that you would be able to do it is with a bill of equal justice where you actually treat abortion like murder. And so that's what we're calling for. And uh, we have to strike all of the pro-life incremental stuff from the law to do that because it's those pro-life incremental laws that actually legalize abortion at the state level. Yeah, and and to be fair, I know there's going to be some pushback for a few people. They're going to say, no, the heartbeat law doesn't actually say if a baby doesn't have a heartbeat, you can murder the baby. But my pushback on that, and I'm sure you're, you're going to agree with this, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I think you're going to agree, is if you have a conference venue and you walk in, and it's open, it says open to all, and you walk in and there's 100 chairs, and I walk up to the front row and there's a guy standing there and he says, you just can't sit in this chair. Okay, he, he's not telling you you can sit everywhere else, but by process of elimination, you can figure out, I can sit anywhere except that chair. So my point in right. saying that is when you read a law that says abortion is illegal if there's a detectable heartbeat, then most people can figure out very easily from that, well, that means that then I can have an abortion, I can murder my child if we can't detect the heartbeat. And by the way, for everybody that's a Heartbeat Bill fan, this one really annoys me because again, you are relying on an abortionist to detect the heartbeat. And you could talk yeah. to any ultrasound tech and they're going to tell you it's very easy to not detect a heartbeat if you're trying not to detect a heartbeat. And I can tell you that it's also easy to detect two heartbeats when there's actually only one because uh, I had a really bad ultrasound tech tell us we were having twins when my wife was 42 oh, weeks, man. Pre- 42 weeks <laughs> pregnant. 42 weeks pregnant in the hospital. And he's like, yeah, there's two heartbeats. And I'm like, yeah, there's hers and the baby's. He's like, no, no, there's two. But again, my point is that's a guy who's supposed to be knowing what he's doing in the hospital and he even gets it wrong. And so then you're going to rely on an abortionist who makes a living off of murdering babies to be truthful that he's actually trying to look. So, okay. So I think we've, yeah. Yeah. yeah, So I think we've covered those and I, I hope, I hope that this is equally helpful to, again, people in the SBC listening, uh, because I know that, uh, you know, Dusty and I, we, we covered a certain amount of uh, stuff regarding the resolution, but then I know there are these things that have kind of come out and these, these uh, objections and whatnot to the resolution. And, and I do think that some of these objections, some people are well-meaning because, you know, maybe they knew somebody with an ectopic pregnancy, maybe they're concerned about their wife, uh, and, and maybe they've worked on pro-life laws and they just don't quite get it. Um, but uh, hopefully these things kind of answer them. But hey, let's say somebody wants to get in contact with you, Darren, and uh, maybe ask you some more questions or, or get involved in some of the work you're doing. Can you, uh, for, for the third time now that you've been on the show, can you tell our listeners, if they don't remember from before, how to contact you and where they can go? Sure, yeah. There's a couple different ways to contact me. Um, one is um, you can use the contact form on the operationsaveamerica.org uh, website. Uh, you can contact me through there. Um, you also can contact me through the Messenger um, platform on Operation Save America. I'm on there as well. Um, but then uh, if they want to, they can also send me an email, pastor.stid at gmail.com. That's my personal email. If you send me an email there, I'll get it. I may not get right back to you, but I'll make every effort to get back to you as soon as I can. Um, and uh, I'd love, to, con- I'd love to, to talk with you about these things more. Look, here's the thing. Like, I've been involved in this long enough to know that not everybody that has an objection to what we're doing um, is, is, is coming into the discussion um, 
you know, with, 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 a, uh, with an axe to grind. Many people are just thinking through these things for the first time, and we just want to say to those people, we invite that discussion. We want that discussion. And so please, uh, if you have questions, please reach out. I'm happy to spend some time uh, talking through these things with you. And, um, you know, I had to think through all of these same objections myself. I had to do a lot of reading. I asked a lot of friends a lot of questions. And um, so I totally understand the people that are trying to think through all of these different uh, objections. Maybe you got some other objection. Uh, reach out and let's talk. Let's get a dialogue going. I'd love to have a discussion with you. Awesome. Well, Darren, thank you again for coming on. Uh, it's always fun talking to you. Um, and uh, yeah, man, thank you for your work on the resolution. Thank you for all of your hard work with this. And uh, thank you for your work with Operation Save America, too. Um, that's, a important, that's an important movement as well. Hey, I really appreciate that, brother, and uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity to come on and answer some of these objections. That was Pastor Darren Stid, co-author of the Southern Baptist Convention Resolution to Abolish Abortion. You are listening to The Patriarchy on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. We'll be right back. So I'm going to use the last bit of my voice to say a few things before we end this episode. So uh, first things first, whether you call yourself an abolitionist or an immediatist or a consistent pro-lifer or just a pro-lifer, as Christians, we need to be able to agree that abortion needs to end completely, uh, that it cannot continue on uh, in our nation. Uh, otherwise, we are going to continue to incur the wrath of God, which I do very much believe we are seeing even as we speak. Uh, If we can start there, uh, agreeing that abortion, that the murder of innocent human beings is an abomination before God, and that it needs to end, if we can agree on that, I think that we can all have good and productive conversations on the tactics uh, that we need to take uh, to end abortion in our nation. I say that because I I understand that this particular topic of ending or abolishing or whatever word you'd like to use, abortion, uh, sometimes hits people the wrong way because of maybe arguments they've had with certain people and certain groups or certain movements or whatever, online personalities. Uh, That happens in just about everything that's worth doing. Uh, But as men, we can't let that dissuade us from doing the right thing and also, you know, hashing things out with our brothers uh, on how what's the best way to do this right thing. So, again, if we can all start agreeing on the premise that we need to end abortion in our nation because it's an abomination to God uh, and that we need to look to the scriptures to figure out the best, wisest, and most righteous way of doing that, then I think we can have good conversations with each other. Uh, don't let 
people that are loud and immature and just disruptive uh, dissuade you from doing the right thing. There's always going to be those people, always. In every area that is worth looking into and every fight that's worth fighting, you're always going to find those people. Uh, just don't, but don't pay them any mind. Don't pay them any mind, pass them by, and keep doing, keep seeking to do the right thing. If you have questions about this area, if, if you're just like, yeah, I'm on board, but I just don't know about X, Y, or Z, much like we talked about in this episode, you know, those are three pretty big areas that people do commonly have questions about, and that's understandable. But if you have those kind of questions, don't just keep them to yourself and don't let it dissuade you from doing the right thing. Get those questions answered. Hash it out. Uh, contend with those questions in your own mind, in your own heart, and with other people, and move forward and do the right thing. If you would like to reach out to us, um, you absolutely can. As always, you can send us an email at contact at thepatriarchypodcast.com or you can reach out to us on any of our social media accounts and send us a private message. Uh, we'd be happy to either answer your questions, talk with you, or maybe just direct you to somebody that's much more knowledgeable in the particular area you have a question in. But please do reach out and ask those questions. And again, uh, one more time, don't let the people that are being unreasonable, don't let the people that are being loud and obnoxious and uh, just divisive for the sake of being divisive, don't let them dissuade you from doing the right thing and seeking the right answers. You be your own man and you seek to do the right thing because it's the right thing, despite maybe what other people uh, along the same lines are doing. So with that being said, uh, thank you for listening to this episode. This will actually be the last episode of this season, not of the year, just of the season. Uh, we're trying to do things in kind of seasons now so we can take a bit of a hiatus in between. Uh, reason being is generally summertime is a, a good opportunity for Joseph and I both uh, with our respective families to either go on trips and do things just like Joseph's doing right now or to do more things around the property while the weather is nice where we live um, and also just to give us a break from doing the show. The show is a lot of work. It's worth it, but it's a lot of work. And so sometimes we need a break in between. Uh, it helps us kind of recoup from uh, the work of doing it and also to come up with new ideas. Um, so we're going to take a hiatus. We'll be back in the fall. So look forward to episodes then. And during the summer, we may release something here and there. But uh, just on a consistent basis, we won't have anything until the fall. Before we sign off here, um, I, I did want to say a couple words about my personal health uh, because I know a lot of you have been reaching out uh, just because, you know, we've delayed a few episodes because of that. Um, I'm doing okay. I'm not doing great, but I'm, I'm doing okay. Uh, we're still trying to find the right doctors uh, that will actually do the right tests and give us more information to kind of point us towards, you know, what is this? What's the underlying condition? What's going on with me? So that we can find a remedy and, and figure out how to move forward. Um, it's been frustrating. I won't lie. Um, anytime you have to rely on doctors to get you tests, uh, it can get quite frustrating because you really have to push and advocate for yourself especially in this COVID crazy world where everything is about COVID and nothing else. Uh, but yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm doing okay. Um, there are good days and bad days. Uh, I have my assumptions about what it could or could not be, uh, but I don't have any info to really back that up, no data. 
So I'm not going to really say that online yet. Um, but yeah, so please just keep me in your prayers. Keep my wife and my kids in your prayers because, you know, it's it's uh, it takes its toll on them too. Um, but yeah, we're just taking it a day at a time. We're just going to trust God and, uh, you know, I say my prayers about it and then I move on and do what I got to do. So I appreciate your prayers. Please add me to your prayer list if you have one. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm doing okay. So before we end this episode, I would be remiss if I did not push you to become a Fight Laugh Feast Club member. And I really do mean that. I know I say it at the end of most episodes. Um, it's worth it. Um, we are trying to build something with this network, and I think we are doing a good job of building it. But it, it requires money and funding to do it. And even our show um, does require that as well. Uh, we, we do not you know, get a lot of money for the show, uh, but we do have expenses and, and, you know, we, we're buying new equipment, um, and that kind of stuff costs money. Um, so if you would become a fight, laugh, feast club member by going to fight, laugh, and use the code patriarchy, when you do part of that money goes to our show, goes to Joseph and I, um, to be able to, um, support our families, to also be able to buy, um, things for the show, equipment, uh, new equipment, things to make the show better, things to branch out, um, and even just pay for things that we currently use for the show. Uh, it really does help, and it also gets you access to a lot of cool stuff. Um, we have another show, if you don't know, that's available only to members, and it's called After the Sandwich. It's a much more low-key show where we talk about all sorts of things. Uh, it gives you kind of a better look i think behind the scenes and uh, joseph and i and our personalities and uh, our opinions on things uh, it's a fun show we enjoy doing it but we make it available to members only and uh if you go to fightlaughfeast.com and sign up with any level of membership because uh, there are varying levels depending on you know how much you want to spend or don't spend um you get access to that show and you also get access to other behind the scenes content there are other things especially cross politic putting out um, behind the paywall uh, that you can get access to and enjoy uh, with your family. So go to fightlaughfeast.com, click to sign up to become a member, and use the code PATRIARCHY when you do if you want to support our show and get access to our behind-the-scenes content too. So until next time, if you have not yet bowed your knee to Christ, repent and believe. And if you have, this is our call to you. Build, fight, Protect, lead. This is the patriarchy. Uh-huh.